There are three questions that I'm asking, and I want you to be asking these three questions as well. I want you to ask, what is the Lord revealing concerning himself? What is the Lord revealing concerning himself? That's the first question. The second question that I want you to be asking is, what is the Lord revealing concerning people? What is the Lord revealing concerning people? And then the third question that I want you to ask is, what is the Lord revealing concerning me? Right. What, what is God revealing concerning me? Um, these are the three questions that when you ask and you posture yourselves in prayer, as you're asking those questions, you're really what you're doing is 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 establishing a, an atmosphere of receptivity to hear from God, to hear what God has to say, uh, to, to, to hear from the Lord through the reading of your word. Um, and, and that's why I can read this, uh, you know, I can't count the number of times I've read through the Bible and every time I read, I'm still getting something new because God is speaking something new to me. This is not a Bible study. This is a meditational reading. There may be some elements of study in it, but, um, my focus is mostly on, um, um, are you purposely avoiding the part about body discharges? No, no. I go with whatever time I have, you know, whatever I'm afforded. Um, and I'm really just spending time speaking specifically into what the Lord is just speaking into as I'm reading the word. What am I getting from the scripture? What, what, what is God pointing me out to, um, pointing out to me as I read the scripture? Maybe I can get to that, Kristen, um, today as we're closing out a particular section of the book of uh, Leviticus. And so maybe then maybe I can give you some insight as to what 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 really we should be uh, looking into and reading. I hope as we read this, I'm changing the way that you look at the scriptures as well, um, that you look at the Bible as well. And I hope that it's transformative to you, because as you read through the entire narrative of scripture, it's something else. It, it turns into something else. Um, it's life giving. It's it's renewing. It's empowering. And. And so today, uh, as we're seeking the presence of God, I believe that the Lord wants to say something to us today. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right into it. Father, I ask, Lord, as we engage in your word today, Father, I just pray, Lord, that we uh, would not simply just insert ourselves on the text, but Lord, that you would insert yourself in our heart through the text. Lord, I pray that that we would uh, hear from you, Lord, that you would correct, convict that you would restore, that you would empower, that you would encourage, that you would exhort wherever it is needed, Father, in us today. Allow us to hear from you, Lord, but allow us to discover more about you. Allow us to discover more about who we're called to be in you. And Lord, allow us to discover uh, things in us that need to be changed. And and, and I ask that in, in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Uh, oh, did we, did we, did we skip 15? Hold on. Let me make sure uh, we didn't skip 15. Oh, you are so right. You are so right. See that? Thank you for bringing that up, Kristen. We're actually we're actually reading Leviticus 15. Good thing you pointed that out. There'd be somebody right now on the TikTok uh, group that would have said, Hey, uh, we haven't read 15 yet. We haven't read 15 yet, um, but I can't see any of them. So thanks for pointing that out, Kristen. I really appreciate you for that. Thank you. Um, here I am thinking, wait, I thought we read that, but then I looked and I'm like, wait, hold on. Maybe we didn't read it. So thanks for pointing that out. We're going to read it now. So let's do it. Leviticus 15. Look at God. Um, very good. Very good. Yeah, we didn't read that. You're so right. Thanks for pointing that out. 
Leviticus 15, verse 1, it says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge. It is his uncleanliness. Every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything on which he who has a discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and shall be unclean until evening. If he who has discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes, bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has discharged touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The vessel of earth that he who has the discharge touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes and bathe his body in running water. Then he shall be clean. On the eighth day, he shall take himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priests. Then the priest shall offer them the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. If any man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. And any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, when a woman lies with a man and there is any and there is an emission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, then she shall be set apart seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whomever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or on anything on which she sits when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days. And every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be 
unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanliness of her purity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count herself seven days. And after that, she shall be clean. And on the seventh day, she shall take for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall offer the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanliness. Thus, you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanliness, lest they die in their uncleanliness when, the, when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law for one who has a discharge and for him who emits semen and is unclean thereby and for her who is disposed toward who is dis, who is indisposed because of her customary impurity and for the one who has a discharge either man or woman and for him who lies with her who is unclean i see why you wanted to read that now Kristen. <laughs> leviticus 16 now the lord spoke to moses after the death of the two sons of aaron and they offered profane fire before the lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holiness inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban. He shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. Hmm. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of, goat, of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat which the, which, which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. And the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring forth a sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take the censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the, of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side before the mercy seat. He shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place. 
because of the uncleanliness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement for the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the cleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting. Uh, sorry, then, then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off all the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. He shall wash his body with water in the holy place, put on his garments, come out with his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall put on the altar and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp and they shall burn it in the fire. They shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh and their offal. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes, bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all. Whether native, whether a native of your own country or stranger who dwells among you. Hmm. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on linen clothes, the holy garments, then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar and shall make atonement for the priest for all the people of the assembly, this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron, to his sons and to the children of Israel and say to them, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded saying, Whatever a man of the house of Israel, sorry, whatever, whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp, 
and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He shall, he has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priests and offer them as peace offering to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle blood on the altar of the door at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for the sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Also, you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. Hmm. And whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among the people for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of the flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether he is native of your own country or a stranger, he shall, he shall both wash his clothes, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. It's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot here to speak about and very, very little uh, time to cover it. Um, if you would allow me, let me just check here because it says I have zero viewers, but I know there's plenty of you guys on here. Um, all right, there we go. All right, I can see I can see some of you guys when I click the zero button, but I know you guys are there and I know you guys are probably commenting. I can't see any of your comments. I can't see anything. I can't see any interaction, but um, I'm sure you guys are there. So I hope I hope this time that we spend together um, in the next few minutes is going to be an incredible blessing to you uh, because, uh, quite frankly, this is to me the climax of the book of Leviticus right here. This is the climax of the book. And and, and what I've been uh, talking to you guys about over the past you know couple of days as we've been reading through Leviticus 
is I hope I have at least realigned the way that you read the book. I hope I'm realigning the way that you read the Pentateuch as a whole. I hope that you, you, you read it now and you go, okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm beginning to see a woven story. Okay. I hope you guys are seeing that. There's a, there's a woven narrative here about a people who God has set aside to reinstitute righteousness and justice. That there's a people that God is setting aside who will bring God's kingdom to the earth. There's a people who God is setting aside who are going to, um, who will be the representatives of God. What he calls them is a nation of priests, a nation of mediators, because that's what a priest is. A priest is simply a representative of God. A priest is a mediator, is a corporeal image of God. You look at the priest, you see God. The priest then mediates for you in that the priest speaks uh, on your behalf to God, and he speaks to you on God's behalf. And so as a mediator, that's what they were called to be. They were called to be the representatives of God on earth. These were people who were set aside. And these were the laws now that God is instituting to write out a story, to bring information to us as a people concerning the plan and the work and the mission that he has to restore all people. These people, the children of Israel, were called to be holy. They were called to be set aside. They were called to live a different standard of living. They were called to uh, fulfill the holiness of God through the participation and the submission to God's law. That's why Paul says they're under the law, meaning they live under the submission of the law, the law being instituted here. Notice they were under the law. The Canaanites were not. The rest of the world was not. The Gentiles were not. The law here that we see that is being written here is not a law that was written to us. It was a law written to them. Ten Commandments, all these laws that you see. You go, well, the, ten, well, the Bible says da-da-da-da-da, so I, that was for me to do da-da-da-da-da. Or we'll read the Bible and say, well, it says thou shalt, um, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not cover thy neighbor. These are all, these all speak to morality, um, but we read it as if these are, this is the code in which to be a believer or this is the code of Christianity, and it's not. It's not the code of Christianity. When we read the law throughout Leviticus and we see all these laws, these laws, right? If, if the Ten Commandments were preamble to the laws, they're being fully unpacked here through Leviticus. We're going to see an unpacked in Numbers. We're going to see an unpacked in Deuteronomy. But as a whole, these laws were written to the children of Israel because God is holy and because the presence of God will be represented through them. They had to live holy lives. Now, to be holy, right, speaks into purity. That is, stay with me now, that if God is the author of life, okay, stay with me. If God is the author of life, the anti-God is the author of death. If God 
if in him is life, okay, and if he is, if God is the source of life, if God, I'm going somewhere with this, okay, if God is the source of life, then anything opposite to God leads to death. And if God is the source of life, anything connected to death is not of God. If God is the source of life, the anti-God is the source of death, then anything that produces death comes out of what was produced out of the anti-God. Somebody, some people are going, wait, the anti-God? We're bringing you back now. When we read in the scriptures, we begin to understand that Satan is not the snake. Satan is a system. The word Satan, it means opposer. Sometimes we make Satan like, you know, you know, the devil with the pitchfork and all that. No, Satan is anything opposite to God. Satan is the anti-God. And out of Satan, right? Out of Satan comes death. So when sin came into the world, man permitted that by sinning. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they submitted under the power of the opposer. And in doing so, the consequence of it was death. That's why uh, when God told Adam, if you eat of this tree, you, you will surely die on this day. He didn't say you're going to die later on. The moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they died. Death came into the world. And everything now that produces death, produces pain, sin, that produces death, produces pain. All of it comes out of sin. It comes first originated from the sin of Adam and Eve, but then through the sin of mankind of which we all have. Adam and Eve are representatives of us. In the same way that we have a new representative, our representative was Adam. Adam represented us, and we have all proven to have Adam's nature and to have Adam's character. And through that came sin. Everything that is broken in the world came in through sin. Stay with me now. So, therefore, God is life sin satan is death the hebrews when they read this understood this distinction and so they understood what it meant to be clean and unclean what is clean was connected to life what is unclean was connected to death So impurity or unclean, uncleanness was not a matter of sin. Okay. It wasn't a matter of sin. Uncleanness was a matter of what they were connected to. Somebody understand what I'm saying? Uncleanness was a matter of what they were connected to. Not a matter of, um, you know, uh, well, I sinned and because I sinned and I did a bad thing and a bad thing did, did bad things to people. No, it, it wasn't that. It was, 
I am now in contact with something that produces death. If I'm in contact with something that produces death, then I cannot be in contact with God. And that is what is being communicated here. This is the economy and the system by which the Lord is informing them and developing an understanding in them that as a people, they ought to be a clean people. Cleanliness was a big deal because out of uncleanliness came disease. Out of uncleanliness came death. Out of uncleanliness, right, came, you know, the illnesses that that, that we hear about. Clean life, unclean death. So it wasn't that they were clean, like in the way we think of cleanliness, it was they were connected to something that came out of what came out of the fall of man. I know I can't get in. I don't, I know I don't see any of your comments, but I hope you're beginning to find this helpful because when we read about the, and I'm glad that you brought it up when we talk about the bodily fluids, the bodily discharges in Leviticus 15, um, you could talk about the, the leprosies. We talked about the lepers and I know I was really ministering more specifically to, to what, what, what's going on in our hearts yesterday. But with leprosy, with um, with childbirth, the pain in childbirth is a result of sin. The suffering that comes from childbirth, the blood that is lost from childbirth comes from sin. It comes out of sin. It's the, it's, it's the fall of man that produced that. And so... When we see these laws being instituted, it was a continual daily reminder of the effects of sin. So a woman who gives birth, she's considered unclean because she shed blood. Um, The men with leprosy, they were considered unclean because it led to disease and death that's connected to sin. Concerning bodily discharges, as we saw in Leviticus 15, connected again to death. Death connected to sin. They understood that. Um, As we read it, we're talking about bodily discharges, right? It's different than semen because semen was, remember the scriptures make a distinction there because I've gotten that question before. I know this is not a Bible study, but I've gotten that question before. When you talk about bodily discharges, are they talking about semen? No, they're talking about bodily discharges other than semen. But the scripture also talks about semen as well. And it's always interesting because when you ask that, you go, well, well, why, well, why, why, why semen as well? Why, why the discharge of semen? Because again, the purpose for it is life. They understood that. So therefore, it's not connected to what it was meant to be connected to. So all this was a matter of purity. It was a matter of sanitation. But all these things were necessary because of the because of sin. Sanitary measures were taken because of sin. Okay, so we talk about clean and unclean. They did not. Okay, the Hebrews who were the representatives of God. Okay, 
These were deeply spiritual people, not like us today, who we look at the scriptures more as an intellectual textbook. They never looked at it that way. The Torah was never looked at as an intellectual textbook. The Tanakh was not an intellectual textbook. It was deeply spiritual. There was always a spiritual dimension to it. So they understood that everything that's being written is not simply literal, but that there was a spiritual connection. There was a spiritual dimension to everything that was written. And for them, they understood that this is a reminder for us that our impurity comes out of the effects of sin. That is death. So the impurity itself isn't sinful. It's what the impurity is connected to. And so if I'm going to come into the presence of God, I cannot come into the presence of God impure. Okay? Notice, I it's not that I cannot come into the presence of God because I'm uh, imperfect. I cannot come into the presence of God because I am impure. There's a difference. We make purity, you know, I know, you know, there was always the purity movement, you know, um, stay celibate till you're married. There's that, you know, the purity movements and, and that's great and all, but that's not necessarily purity. Okay. We've defined that as purity, but that's not what, what we're talking about. When we're talking about purity, we're talking about being disconnected and free from everything that connects to death. That's the holiness of God. And so God's holiness requires us to come into his presence holy. And yet here we are, impure, imperfect people. Here they are, impure, imperfect people. And what the book of Leviticus does is, is that the book of Leviticus establishes the system by which impure people can come into the presence of a holy God. God is the one instituting this. I hope this is helpful. Because, and and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's for the person who wasn't here the day before, whatever other day, we need to separate. We need to make a distinction between holiness and righteousness. Holiness is not righteousness. Okay. So when when people say holiness is always right, or this is the holiness movement, or we need to be holy, understand what you're actually saying, okay? This is a a fruitless endeavor if you're seeking holiness by the way that you live. It's a fruitless endeavor. Righteousness is God's declaration. It is a state of being. It is a state, it, it, it it is what is proclaimed and declared on you. Meaning, Once you've been declared not guilty, you're declared righteous. It didn't matter if you did it or not, you were declared not guilty. Once you're declared not guilty, you're free from the consequences of whatever that sin was or whatever that thing was that you committed. That's righteousness. Okay? So if you have a righteous judge, you have a holy and righteous judge, that holy and righteous judge can determine what's right and what's wrong. He declares you right or wrong. And here he's giving the system by which he determines what's right and what's wrong. When you are right and when you are wrong. So the bodily fluids, 
They're connected to impurity. They're connected to death. Leprosy connected to death. So what is connected to life? The blood. Did you hear me? We live in an environment that just being in it for long enough makes us impure. And yet what connects us back to life is the blood. I don't want to go full Bible study here, but I I, I want to make sure I, I teach this so that way you can understand what is being said here in Leviticus 17 and the power of it. This life that we need, this because remember, impurity is death. The opposite of impurity leads to life. And what is that? The blood. And so in Leviticus 16, which maybe I'll get a chance to get there, he speaks on how he makes an unholy, imperfect people holy and just. That there's a sacrifice. And in that sacrifice, the sins of all the people are forgiven. They're, the scriptures say that they are atoned for, meaning they are covered. The impurities are covered. Why? Because of the blood. Who says so? God says so. What does God say that? It is law. So the same law that would have convicted you to death, in it has the stipulations for life. And the stipulations for life are found in Leviticus 17, 11, when he says there, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. God is telling you right here what the price is he's telling you his method of payment you don't get to choose the method of payment notice the method of payment is not how good you live the method of payment is not how well you follow the ten commandments the method of payment is not what kind of foods you eat the method of payment is not you know um whether you read your bible every day the method of payment is not how often you go to church on sunday the method of payment is not um how often you pray the method of payment is not how much bible you got memorized the method of payment is not how much you got it together the method of payment is not how good you are the method of payment is not how long you spend without watching pornography the method of payment is not um how long it's been since you you know since you slept with that guy or, or slept with that girl the method of payment is not how long you've been sober the method of payment is none of that none of that is the method of payment for your soul sit on that family i know i can't see you i don't, I don't know if this resonates i don't know if you guys are connecting with this i know i'm only watching zero viewers but that's okay because i know you're hearing this somebody needs to hear this today the way you live and how good you live and how uprightly you live is not your method of payment for your soul And the method of payment for your soul 
If it's not by how you live, then how you live is not the consequence of your soul either. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying right now? If how you live isn't the payment for your soul, then the consequence for your soul is not how you lived either. Wow. So you're going to go, wait, 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 what? Are you saying I can live any other way I want to live and do whatever I want to do? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. But just hear what I'm saying. Because we come before God with shame and guilt of all the things we've done and all the sins that we've committed. And yet the, the children of Israel didn't come with that. They sinned on the regular. And when they sinned, they came before God. God who's calling them to higher standard of living. They were purified through the blood. It was actually the blood that transformed them to become the people that God intended them to be. Watch this. He says there that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It is the blood that was the payment for the soul. And he says, I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. Meaning, you don't come to God. You cannot come to God. I'm sure you're hearing this, family. You cannot come to God with how much better you are as a person. Cannot come to the presence of God with how long it's been since you've committed sin. You can't come to God with that. You cannot come to God with your perfection and how good of a person you are. You cannot come to God with that. You want to know why? Because going back, as long as you're connected to impurity, you cannot come in the presence of God. If you touch something with bodily discharge, if you touch something that was connected to death, that's what we're hearing. That's what we're seeing here. If you touch something, just touching it, you touch something that's impure, you cannot come before the presence of God. You are unclean. So then what do we do? We have to bring the blood to him. The only way to come before God and his holiness is for God to cleanse you. Now, I, I hope now you're going to, you're beginning to see what it means to be cleansed and washed by the blood. Are y'all catching me? I hope you guys are seeing this. What it means to be to be washed by the blood. You know, people say this term, I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. I've been washed by the blood. I've been washed by the blood. We're not even getting to Jesus yet. We're stuck right here yet. <laughs> I know we got the cheat code. I know we've read it, but we, and yes, we have something better than, than the children of Israel had. But with what they had, the blood washed away their sin. 
because their blood was the payment. The blood was the payment for sin. They didn't question God about that. They honored it. So when they came to God with sin, they didn't come with shame and guilt. They came with the sacrifice. When they came before God with sin, they didn't come with excuses. They came with the sacrifice. When they came to God with whatever sin they committed, we saw, we've already seen a whole bunch of laws. We're going to see many more. And laws that they broke, they didn't come to God with, please, Lord, forgive me. No, they came to God with what he takes as payment for forgiveness. They didn't come with, God, I really feel bad about what I did. I think one of the most, one of the most corrosive things that I'm seeing in today's culture and in in the church as well, one of the most corrosive things that I see today is people who think that what God wants is your remorse. Like they think that what God wants is your remorse. Like God wants you to come feeling bad. Or sometimes we think that we're being cleansed by simply feeling bad about what we did. As if repentance requires us to feel incredibly horrible. Like we have sorrow. There are people who have sorrow, but they don't have godly sorrow. It's godly sorrow. The scriptures tell us that it's godly sorrow that produces repentance, not sorrow. Because there are people who are sorry, but they're sorry simply because they got caught. Or they're sorry because they hurt someone. They weren't sorry up to that point. Like they weren't sorry because they they knew that who they were and what they did was profoundly distant from who God wanted them to be. That's not why they were sorry. They were simply sorry because somebody got hurt. They were sorry because their reputation was affected. They feel sorry because somebody was offended or they feel sorry because there's some dimension of their life that was broken as a result of it. That, my friends, is not godly sorrow. Okay, that's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow can be joyful. (laughs) Godly sorrow is when you come knowing that I am impure, but I've got a payment. And when you come in with that and you give the payment, you don't leave with shame. I've said this. and I feel like, man, the spirit is leading me into this. So I'm just going to go in this direction. There are some people right now who hmm, they come before God with their sorrow. They come before God with shame. They come before God feeling bad about what they've done. Some people right here in the chat. You came before God feeling bad. And you leave feeling bad. This is your revelation today. There's some people who've come before the presence of God feeling guilty 
They come, they weep, they feel the presence of God. They, they feel the embrace of God. But then they leave feeling guilty. Because you came with remorse. I'm going to speak prophetically right now. There are those who are here who have been coming to God with remorse. But you haven't been coming to God with repentance. You come before God with remorse, but God wants you to come with the blood. You come with boldness. He says in the scriptures to come boldly before the throne of grace. The children of Israel did not have an issue coming before God because God gave them the method of payment. And yet, even though God has given us his method of payment, we still come before him with something other than the method of payment. Because while the bodily fluids lead to death, the blood leads to life. Because the life is in the blood. When it says that the life of the flesh is in the blood, the word life in that scripture is the nefesh. Uh, the nefesh. The, the, the nefesh of the flesh. Meaning the soul, the actual soul of the flesh. What makes the flesh the flesh. What illuminates it is in the blood. And he's saying what, key, what, what makes things alive is the blood. The blood is what brings life and makes life life the blood and God is saying I use that as my method of payment because life is in there the life is in it notice it didn't say that the the blood gives life he says to you that the life is in the blood it's important this is not semantics here he's not saying that the blood gives life because there are things with blood that still died but he's saying that the life is in the blood And so the blood was God's method of payment. Up to this point, when we talk about atonement, I think because we don't fully understand the atonement, we get stuck. We get stuck. We get stuck in, well, what did they needed to do this? And they needed to do that. And the, the, the children of Israel needed to do this and do that and do this and do that. And they have all these rules that they need to follow, but we miss the part of the law. That says, when those rules are broken, bring a payment of blood. Why would God bring blood into the equation? He brought the payment of blood into the equation because he knew the children would fail to fulfill the law. I hope this is helping somebody. He knew the children of Israel. So when we read all these laws about what they ought to do, we should also read the other side of that story, which is they failed to do it continually. But they remained God's children because he gave them a method of payment. The blood. I'm going to say, I'm going to say one more thing that I want to point out. And then I'm going to close because I can't see any comments. I'm sorry, y'all. Um, one more thing I wanted to point out, which really, really stuck out to me. Um, 
There was the annual day, the annual day of atonement, where the the, the goat would pay the price, right, um, for the sins of all, for, for the sins of the entire, the entire nation. And then one goat would be sent into the wilderness as what we call the scapegoat. And they knew that, and that was represented the fact that they imputed their sins on that goat, and that goat was sent away. Interesting image there. But there was something that I read here that I saw it a few times and I wanted to point this out because this is what's sticking out to me in Leviticus 16 verse 29 it says this shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month on the seventh day of the month you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells with you hmm whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells with you. Um, we see this a few more times. I just highlighted that one as I was reading. But that really stuck out to me. Um, the reason why that stuck out to me, family, is because I think it happens maybe one or two more times in our reading, so you can go back and look at it. That among them were strangers. That among them were people who were not the children of Israel. Like, we can make that supposition. We make we can make that presumption that if he says... Um, that, that this is for those who are natives and those who are not, it means that among them were those who were not natives. And it speaks into the restorative, reconciliatory power of the atonement. That simply because these people were in the presence of the chosen people of God, that they were given the privilege to partake in the atonement of their sins. Meaning, this blood sacrifice was not exclusive to just the children of Israel. That for the Canaanite, for the Gentile, for the one who was not a Jew, for the one who was not Hebrew, that they were given the privilege to partake in the same grace as the Hebrews. Wow. This stuck out to me because I I don't remember ever seeing that at this point in the scripture. We see elements of that as we've been reading up to this point, but so explicitly that this wasn't just for them. This was for the strangers who were with them. This speaks to the inclusivity of God. That while God called a people to bring righteousness and justice, but he brought them to bring it for all nations and all people that we could all experience and enjoy and partake in that grace. And we see that later on fulfilled in Christ, in Yahashua, in Jesus, in Yeshua. We see that fulfilled. 
I'm going to close with prayer. If you ever miss a read and rant, I want to encourage you to go back and catch the previous ones. It's in our Facebook group, the font everywhere on Facebook. Um, it's a private group, but just just send a request. We'll let you in um, and invite people as well. Invite people to come and join. We're going to eventually make it public, but right now it's shaping out into something, something beautiful happening there with people who are not only reading the word together, but encouraging each other. Um, this thing that we do, we do it every weekday, every weekday. Um, we want to read through the entire Old Testament. We're going to read through the entire New Testament. We've already read through the entire New Testament on the read and rant. Now we're going through the entire Old Testament. Um, but I pray that this would be an encouragement to you as you continue to grow in the word that you're beginning to see here the, the story, the grand narrative, the whole story of the scripture as the Hebrews would have seen it and as the Hebrews would have understood it. Um, as well. Um, but be encouraged today concerning the bodily fluids. Some connect to death. Another connects to life. If you touch that which is connected to death, you are considered impure, not because you sinned, simply because you touched it. But for those of us who have connected to the impure fluids, we've been given the opportunity to cover it with blood bodily fluids father we thank you for this time father i thank you that you are continuing to teach us and encourage us and to inspire us with your word father let us be reminded oh that from the beginning from the beginning you made a plan for our redemption and our restoration that even though we fell short and we continue to fall short lord your grace is sufficient and that, Lord, you came with the payment that would allow us, Lord, the privilege to be in your presence. So, Father, we pray that your presence would be made, would be made real to us. Let's be encouraged, Lord, as we, or not, as we meditate on this word today, Lord, that we would be reminded that what the law could not do, the blood did. What the law could not restore, your blood did. What the law could not correct, your blood did. For your power is in the blood. And we say that in.